0: back to Balagan. And I'm here back again with Jeff Becker to discuss what the political sphere looked like less than three weeks to the election. Welcome back, Jeff. Thank you. Always great to have you here. And I think that today we should focus on two mainly issues. The first one is what's going on in the center left, if to call it this way. And the other one is something interesting that is happening in the ultra-orthodox camp in Israel. So, Jeff, which one of them do you want us to start with? Well, the thing is, is that
1: everything, in a way, is all connected to each other. So, what we're seeing right now is an uptick in popularity for two parties running in the election. There's Yeshatid, led by Yir Lapid, which is a centrist, center-left but secular party. Then you have Avigdor Lieberman's Israel Beitenu Party, which is a right wing and secular party, and they're both starting to gain in the polls. And a lot of that has to do with the ongoing situation between the Haredi population and the secular population of Israel, you know, regarding coronavirus restrictions and the floating of social distancing rules and the continuation of protests in the Haredi sector, where actually one person was unfortunately killed at a recent Haredi protest a couple of days ago. So there seems to be this narrative that's coming out of this election of it being, you know, secular versus religious. And both the secular parties and the Orthodox parties are really starting to hop onto this narrative and
0: see if they can gain more support within their respective spheres. So you placed it correctly. There is a big anti-religious sentiment that is growing in Israel, and it definitely shows in the polls as the Lapid is getting stronger. And actually, Lieberman, who's still in the area of seven to eight mandates, I actually think that he may be the surprise of these elections. He's going to be the joker, because at the moment, that's an important number. More than 30 percent of Israelis are not even sure if they are going to go vote, but when you check how many of them are trending to the left and how many of them are trending to the right, more than 70% identified as former Kaholavan and Labor Party voters, which means that in theory, they have the potential of 14, 15 mandates more that are at the moment sitting at home. So what Lieberman is actually trying to do is to provoke this anti-religious sentiment and try to bring those people to him. With Yair Lapid, it's more complicated, though, because Yair Lapid is not attacking. If we're checking the campaigns, then Yair Lapid is staying silent. I mean, he works hard among his people to try and push towards voting, but he's not running any official campaign against Netanyahu or against the ultra-Orthodox. He's trying to stay low, He's not even saying that he's running from prime minister, like Gidon Saar is saying, for example, or Naftali Bene. So most of his potential voters are actually, you know, Labor and Meretz party voters, and some of them are maybe Gantz, and he's also running with Iberman's potential voters. But if he's going to hit too hard on the left, he may lose Meretz. Because Meretz is nearly crossing the thresholds at the moment. That's something that we're going to discuss in a few minutes. But Meretz is barely crossing the threshold. The Labour Party is not rising above six to seven mandates. And also Benny Gantz, that nobody understands why he's still running. Some people still have this wishful thinking that if things will happen and nobody will be able to form a government and there will be a transparent government, then in November, based on the basic law that they changed, the basic law of the government, then by hook or by crook, he's going to become the next prime minister of Israel. I'm quite sure that regardless of everything that's happening, if there is one thing the upcoming Knesset is going to do, is going to change the basic law back again to make sure that even if Benny Gantz is still in the Knesset, he will not be the next prime minister by any chance. So Benny Gantz is still holding four to five mandates. He's also on the verge of not crossing the thresholds. But it's interesting because his campaign is actually biting the Labour Party at the moment. He's saying, I'm a Tzach successor. I'm doing, you know, and it's really awkward, you know, seeing everything that's going on in the political sphere at the moment.
1: Yeah. The
0: thing that's interesting about Lapid that you mentioned is that
1: how he has to tread so lightly you know in the center because he wants to strengthen his party but he also knows that parties on the left like labor and merits and even blue and white he's going to need them in the knesset in order for him to have some sort of a political support base you know if Lapid wants to be able to form a government he's going to need parties like labor merits and blue and white so he has to make sure that you know his party is strong but also that those parties are strong enough to a point that they don't fall under the 3.25% threshold that you need to get into the Knesset. But the one politician right now who's really standing out for me in this campaign cycle is Avigdor Lieberman. I mean, what he's doing right now, you can honestly just go on Facebook and whether it be in Russian or Hebrew, I think he might actually have English posts as well. He's running a very effective campaign right now, where essentially what he's doing is he's going through mapping each city in Israel and marking how many people in that city have not voted. And then he's trying to get everyone to wake up, or else you're going to have to live in a halakhic state run by the Haredi parties and the Messianic parties, that he likes to call them. So he's marking you know, how many people in each city, and secular cities specifically, you know, we're talking like Rishon, LeZion Halon, yeah. he's targeting secular cities and saying, all right, you know, 10,000 people haven't voted in secular city of Rishon, lezion If you want to be able to have public transportation on Shabbat or take your kids to a museum on Saturdays, just take the time to go and vote or else, you know, you're going to be living in a religious state. And it's starting to look like this campaign strategy on behalf of Lieberman is proving to be pretty effective as he's targeting voters who just seem totally disenfranchised with the whole fourth election, but he's trying to make it hit home for them. He's trying to attack this on a personal level. And, you know, I can't really say the same for earl Lapid. The reason why earl Lapid would still probably gain a good chunk of secular votes is just kind of the background history behind Lapid and the Asia Teed party just notoriously being a secular party as well as Lapid's father, historically also being, you know, one of the most, you can debate me on this, but arguably one of the most anti-Haredi uh, members of the Knesset. So I think it's this new campaign strategy by Lieberman, which you can argue is enticing the secular public vote to vote for Lieberman's Israel Beitenu, and Lapid's Yeh Shatid party.
0: So I will give uh, Lieberman credit for one thing. I mean, he's not my favorite politician, But his campaigns are always straightforward. When he was against the Arabs, it was, you know, you cannot have a citizenship without loyalty. And when he's slamming the ultra-orthodox now, he's saying straightforward, I'm a Chiloni, okay? It's either me or the ultra-orthodox in the government. And if you want a halakha state, vote for somebody else. If you want to make sure that we'll take care of the secular rights, then vote for me. I think that it's gonna work out for him, at least with two to three more mandates. But having that said, I think that at this point the center left or the anti BB camp, I don't even know how to call it at this moment, because we also have Saar who's anti BB from the right, and you have Lieberman who is maybe yes or no BB, you can tell with Bennett, and I'm quite sure that he will go with BB if BB will need him. But Lieberman is actually trying to grow the potential of blocking the ultra-Orthodox. I'm not sure if he'll be able to do it successfully, because eventually when you're talking about Yair Lapid, Yair Lapid is trying to walk, uh, in Hebrew we say, to walk between the raindrops in order to stay dry. And he's trying to stay dry and not to piss off the ultra-Orthodox parties. And the reason he's doing that, if we're looking at the polls at the moment, the Likud has a stable 28 to 30 mandates, and the Lapid is growing, but he's growing really slow. He is now stable at 18 mandates, and he's sourcing to get to 20. But if the mandates map will stay as it shows in the polls at the moment, he will have to form a coalition with Bennett, Lieberman, Saar, Meretz, Labor, and either the ultra-Orthodox or the Arab lists. I doubt if Saar and Bennett will let him do something like that. And also, I doubt if they will let him be the next prime minister. Naftali Bennett already said he wouldn't sit under Yair Lapid. Both of them said it. But, you know, I truly believe now there is another scenario that a lot of political uh, analyzers are doing, that uh, if in the elections they will have the chance, and we can see it after the elections, At the moment, it's all in the air. But if Lapid will have 18 to 20 mandates, Saar and Bennett, if they're going to be the kingmakers, they will try to make a rotation. So do you think Saar and Bennett, though, there's been talk about them making
1: like an electoral pact after the election where Yamina, which is Bennett's party, and New Hope, which is Saar's party, decide to... Merge their mandates in order to get a mandate to form a government because it would probably make them the second largest party as opposed to Lafitte. So, do you think that's a possibility?
0: It is a possibility, even though they can't merge at the moment. I mean, they can say that they're a block, but they cannot run as one slate anymore. They had the chance, they missed it. I think that for both of them, it was a mistake. But I think I shared with you prior. Both Gidon Saar and Naftali Bennett are considering themselves to be Netanyahu's successors. So when you're talking strategy, I think that uh, one of the reasons that Naftali Bennett is not slamming Netanyahu directly and not boycotting him, you know, saying that he is not legit to sit as a prime minister, is the reason, first thing, to leave the door open in case uh, Netanyahu will be the one forming the next coalition, and second, when he's looking at the day after Netanyahu, the Likudnik base is very loyal to the chairperson. Okay? And you can see it clearly now with Netanyahu as well. I mean, Netanyahu has a stable inside the Likud. When he won against the Saar, he had 72% support of the Likud members. So comes the next day after Netanyahu, in a year, two years, or 30 years, Naftali Bennett will be the one saying, hey, listen, I'm a right-wing. I wanted to come to the Likud, but I was blocked. And that is true because Netanyahu himself, along with his family members, especially his wife, who dislikes Naftali Bennett and Yelet Shaked from 2006 when they were working under Netanyahu, they were banned from joining the Likud. And that's the things they want to do the most. They don't want to run as a separate party. For Saar it will be a bigger challenge because Saar went against Netanyahu directly and he also left the Likud now. And that's something that most Likudniks will not forgive about. And it should also be noted that the Likud base is
1: pretty locked in. I mean, you see Saar trying to be able to siphon off some Likud voters to his party, which he did do originally when he broke off, but it's stabilized now. And the Likud voters who are providing 28 to 30 mandates to Likud now, are pretty locked in. They're not going to be going anywhere.
0: Exactly. I mean, you're not going to see a big tiebreaker in these elections. I mean, voters who already said they're going to vote, they know who they're going to vote. That's why the thresholds are almost the same for like almost a month. You don't see drastic changes in favor of anybody And that's why I'm saying that the only game changer can be if the people that are not planning to vote at the moment, 70% of them are center-left, which means that the majority of Marcella, and if Lapid and Lieberman or, you know, Nitzan Horowitz from Meretz and Merav Michaeli from the Labour will not get to them, then they're not going to make any difference in these upcoming elections. So you mentioned Meretz and Labour. They're both holding steady or, you know,
1: labor at about six or five mandates. Merits is actually, you know, may not be able to even get in, which could pose a big problem. So what are they doing right now to try and capitalize on, you know, all these potential voters who probably won't go out and vote because a good chunk of them could be labor and merit supporters. And the entire Israeli left
0: is in desperate need of support right now. So it's interesting how the Israeli left has declined over the years. We'll start with the Labour Party. The Labour Party, you know, if we go back prior to being the Labour, it was a ma'arach, and prior to the ma'arach, it was Mapai. You know, David Ben-Gurion, Golda Meir, the founding fathers of the establishment of Israel. And after the assassination of Yitzhak Rabin, they lost direction. Three main things happened. The first thing is that they lost orientation. And they started being apologetic for everything. The Likud was stemming them all the time about the Oslo Accords and the government's policy. And instead of, you know, having a backbone and standing up for what they believe, they did not. They failed to do it. The other thing is that the Labour Party has the tendency, or at least their voters, their supporters, has the tendency to capitate the heads of the labor leaders. Do you know how many leaders the Likud had since 1948? I couldn't give you an exact number.
1: Here, I'll take a guess. All right, so you have uh, Menachem Begin, Yitzhak Shamir, right. Netanyahu, right. Sharon, and then Netanyahu again, so four. Exactly,
0: it? four leaders. Oh, exactly. I,
1: I get an A-plus for uh, my Israeli history today.
0: Make sure to tell my old professors. Now, I'm going to ask you about the Labour Party.
1: Oh, no, 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 no. I, I, too many to count. Even since the year 2000, I probably couldn't name all of them.
0: So let me tell you, okay, ever since the formation of the Labour Party, which was the first one was Lavia Shkol, in 1968, when they formed a pie, they formed the Hama Arach. They had 12 leaders. Out of them, okay. if we're going to go from Ehud Barak from 2001 until today, they replaced seven. Actually, they had eight elections and they had seven labor leaders in 20 years. It's insane. You can't run any policy. You can't form any long-term strategic planning. And that's something that they do. I mean, if you'll go and check the constitutions of the parties, then the Likud constitution says that they're going to hold the primaries prior to the election, which means that if you get elected to become the leader of the Likud and you go to the opposition, you have the chance to prove yourself either in the opposition or as the prime minister. The Labour Party is capitating the head of the leader right after the elections. So it means that now, Merav Michaeli and I hope for her that she will be able to change it, they're going to election in March. Come April, people will come and tell her, okay, you failed. Now we want to do another election for the chairperson of the Labour Party. Doesn't make any sense. But it happened before, and I assume that it's going to happen again. And that's the Labour Party. If we'll go to Meretz, Meretz is way more stable when it comes to its leaders, okay? But Meretz became it's a niche party. I mean, unlike the Labour Party, who was more of a center-left, if to be honest, Meretz was the one always dealing honestly with human rights, with immigrants, with gay rights, with the Palestinians. But at one point, I would say that they became righteous, too righteous, and people got tired of it. I can share for my personal experience. In two thousand and one, I met MK Ran Cohen. Ran Cohen was an amazing public official. He was a member of the Knesset for Meretz Party. It was the elections that held Barak lost, and Tamar Zandberg, by the way, was his assistant at that time. That She's was
1: now the one first. Of the heads Tamar there.
0: Zandberg later on she will become the leader of Meretz, and she will be capitated also with Meretz. They didn't give her enough runway, but that's for another episode. He was talking, you know, for a whole hour, he was talking about the poor Palestinians and the poor refugees and everything. Now, one coin is signed on one of the most important social justice laws in Israel, which is the public housing law. In the 50s and the 60s, the state built a lot of public housings, and they would take a minimum rent, and you will have rights for life. You have it in New York, by the way, as well, but it's not in the same numbers. Ron Cohen decided, he was the Secretary of Construction and uh, Development in Israel, and he set a law that passed that all of the tenants will get their houses to themselves. They'll become the owners. Most of these now homeowners are actually Likud supporters. But you never saw Meretz is having a campaign about who was helping them. And people are saying, I met with settlers and people from Yerucham and development towns telling me, what the Yossi Sarid as a Ministry of education did here, or what the Rabin government did here, was more than we ever got from any other government. But eventually, in the bottom line, they love the Arabs. So essentially, Meretz struggles because they have a
1: big branding problem. It's not in the policies that they enact, because the policies they enact are actually pretty popular. It's just how Meretz portrays itself as a party is very unpopular, especially with the rising right-wing sentiment in the Israeli public.
0: Yes, because everybody cares about, uh, let's say, global warming. But in Israel, people are more terrified from Iran and from Hamas. So they're talking about global warming. When uh, Bibi is scaring everybody with uh, Iran getting a nuclear uh, weapon, it doesn't stand. You know, nobody cares about global warming if Iran will throw a bomb on you, not that I think that it's going to happen, but that's also for a different topic. So, <laughs> since we're talking
1: about branding, let's move over to the Haredi parties and the religious Zionist party, because we talked about how Lieberman and LaPeter trying to capitalize on the anti religious, pro secular sentiment. What's going on with the Haredi parties and the ultra-right-wing religious parties that's kind of stirring up this sentiment?
0: So let me start with that. I am jealous of the ultra-orthodox community in Israel, not in the way they live, because most of them live in horrible poverty, but the way that their representatives work. I would say it less for Shas, but I will say it for somebody, for example, like Smotrich, And for UTJ? United (laughs) toward Judaism. Yes, thank you. Because they never bent and they always stood for what they care about. So I'll give them the credit for that. But at the moment, they are pulling the rope a bit too hard. And I think it may hurt them. But it has a couple of reasons. So UTJ, in the last election, they got seven mandates. And they've been stable seven to eight mandates in the past, let's say, five years. But suddenly something happened. In the last three weeks from, let's say, mid-February, they are dropping in the polls from seven to six and now to five mandates. And what is happening there, and that's an interesting story, is that people started checking what's going on with the Ashkenazi ultra-orthodox because Shas is still stable on eight mandates. And apparently, the younger generation of the Haredim is a lot more nationalist and smooth who's also ultra-Orthodox himself. He wants a Lacha state, just like UTJ. And he stands up for what he, you know... He talks the talk and he walks the walk, just like UTJ. He is also putting the, you know, anti-gay rights movement and the anti-Arab movement, and they are more nationalistic, so they go to him. So now you see that UTJ are actually having a crazy fight against, you know, last week, the Supreme Court in Israel passed its decision on reforming and conservative conversion in Israel. So one of UTJ's MKs, Who's actually very close in his opinions to Smutrich, his name is Itzhak Pindrus, actually said that a female soldier who's uh, converting in the IDF is still a shikse, and her conversions mean nothing. They actually posted last week a campaign talking about the bark mitzvah. They had some videos of dogs with you know, Talitot and Philin, and uh, said that it was from reform communities here in the U.S. And they are starting to target, you know, that they will keep the state closer to the halacha and not to give power to the reform and the conservative. They aligned with Smutrich on banning, you know, Gilad Kariv, Rabbi Gilad Kariv from the reform movement. He's number four at the Labour Party's list. And they said that if he's going to get elected, they will not attend any of the meetings that he's going to join, which can actually be a great thing for the opposition because if he's going to be in one of the Knesset votings and they're all going to leave, the opposition will have bigger chances of passing those uh, laws. So they are putting a lot more pressure now on having a harder campaign on their people in order to get those votes back. But I will say that Bezalel Smutrich got the votes from both them and Naftali Bennett, okay? None of them has the interest that Smutrich will lose the mandate, because without Smutrich, the right wing is going to lose four to five mandates, okay? And even though the center-left has a bigger challenge because they at the moment have four parties that are uh, in the danger zone, which is Kahola Van with Benny Gantz, Meretz with the Nitzan you have um, Kalkalit, the economic party with Yaron Zalicha, who's taking at the moment two mandates from the left wing. He's not going to cross the thresholds, but he's still going to take those two mandates. And you also have, well, I can't call him left wing, but Mansour Abbas, he's still running and he's not crossing the threshold. So it's a win-win situation for the right wing anyway.
1: So they want to make sure that UTJ, the Ashkenazi Haredi party, and Smotrich both pass the threshold, which I think they will, but there's still a lot of infighting going on in the religious camp.
0: Yes, definitely. Actually, I would say that most of the campaigns outside of Lieberman's campaign are going to be, I would say, cannibalism campaigns, you know, within your camp trying to bite each other, instead of trying to find the audience of the despaired ones or growing your credibility. It's going to be interesting. And we definitely, you know, everything I said here about forming a government with trial of prime ministers between Bennett, Tsar and Lapid or something like that, it's all in the air. I mean, it's nothing uh, stable. It's all uh, assumptions. And we'll definitely be smarter after the elections themselves. We also need to remember that the 23rd is the day of the election, but the date to post the formal resolution is March 3rd, which is uh, mid passover You know, after posting that, you know, everybody will have 14 days to try and form a majority of uh, members of the Knesset. So it's going to be mid-March before anybody can go to the president and ask for the mandate to try and form a coalition. It's going to be a very tense time in Israel. Good, because I it'll, honestly, give us, it'll give us
1: something to talk about. I mean, you know, who knows? We'll probably end up having a fifth election. So it's a possibility. Oh, definitely.
0: That's the one thing that everybody wants. <laughs> yep. But I will say that. I mean, Netanyahu is the number one campaigner. I'm saying it all the time. I've been saying it to you every time we speak about the campaigns. He's slamming everybody. And it's amazing to see that. It's not as successful as in the past. But we may see his strategy changes at the moment. You know, he's doing all of the campaigns around the vaccinations. But since you don't see a drop in the numbers of uh, sick and death people in Israel, then he may change his strategy. We should have a really so interesting we'll couple weeks coming up. Oh, definitely. Look forward to
1: talking to you about it more.
0: Yes. And thank you very much for joining me today, Jeff. We'll definitely speak again really, really soon about what's happening in Israel. And thank you all for listening. Stay tuned to another episode of uh, Balagan. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and wanted to thank you for joining me. If you like my podcast, feel free to rank it and share it with others. I also invite you to subscribe to my podcast so you will get updates when a new episode is on the air. And last but not least, I invite you to check my website, www.balagan.ltd, for more content about Israel's history and politics. Bye for now, and have a great day.